glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, before we go to 1 Kings 17, let me just say a couple of things about this. I think there's a lot of appetite in our nation today. Generally, it's not for righteousness. There are those who hunger and thirst after pleasure. Uh, I would say that's probably the number one appetite in our culture today is, is for pleasure. Even when there's a love for money, it's often for the pleasures that come with it. Um, and so uh, we see the indicator across our nation that there's not a great hunger and thirst for righteousness, but the account we're going to look at in 1 Kings 17 helps us understand that's not necessary for us to be filled. We don't have to have a nation hungry for righteousness for us to be. Uh, we're going to find a woman here. I, I don't believe, based on what Jesus Christ says in Luke chapter 4, that God could find such a woman among his own people. He had to go to the Gentile community to find someone hungry and thirsty enough to do right that he could have Elijah, the prophet, ministered to. He said, in all of Israel, there was not one widow woman like there was that woman of Sarepta or Zarephath, as it said in the Old Testament, whereby God could serve or minister to Elijah. She lived by faith and did what was right. And, uh, and so today, I guess what I would say is, if we're here this morning hearing God's word, this verse applies to us. It applies individually. My prayer would be that it would apply to us as a church. My prayer would be that as a church, what we're hungry for is righteousness. Righteousness, meaning that which is right in the sight of God, not that which we have concluded to be right on our own, but that which is right in the sight of God. But here's the thing. God doesn't say, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after money or pleasure. You know this as well as I do. If you hunger and thirst after pleasure, you'll never be filled. One pleasure leads you to a greater appetite for a greater pleasure. And then that, you, you talk to anybody that has addict, been addicted to drugs, and they'll tell you whatever they started with did nothing but stir their appetite for something more. Immoral pleasures. One of the reasons we are so deep in immorality in our country is because when you remove God's boundaries and say, well, there's pleasure in this forbidden act, once that has been uh, accepted in the culture, they say, well, that didn't fulfill us. So as we, as we pursue immoral pleasures, sexual pleasures outside of God's boundaries, it does not satisfy. One sin leads to a greater sin until the depth of sin is, is gross immorality. And so those that are not blessed who hunger and thirst after pleasure. Money, doesn't say blessed are those who hunger and thirst after wealth. In fact, God says the opposite. Riches have wings, they fly away. The things of this world do not fulfill and satisfy. But he did say, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Let me caution this. I, I, I doubt anybody in this room this morning said, well, really, I just have an appetite for pleasure. I really don't care about the things of God. I just want to pursue pleasure. I don't think anybody would say that. I think the danger would be saying, I want to hunger and thirst after righteousness and those things. How many realize you can't have an appetite for eternal things and temporal things at the same time? It's one or the other. That's Bible. Colossians chapter 3. Set your affection on things above not on things on the earth. He didn't say set your affection more on things above than on things of the earth. He said set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. Meaning you're going to have to decide to have an appetite for spiritual eternal things instead of an appetite for carnal temporal things. 
And I think what, what creates lukewarmness in the Christian, I'll just say, I'm saying all this by way of introduction, is when we say, well, I want an appetite for eternal things, but I don't want to replace my appetite for temporal things. Jesus didn't say, blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness more than they hunger and thirst after their own pleasure. He said one thing, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. We have a very single-minded God. Very single-minded. It's a theme in our church this year, and it's given, I'm certain, by the Holy Spirit of God that He is working on us individually and as a church family to be single-minded. This, the theme this year, two words is our theme, and I don't have it on a banner. It's just something the Lord has continually brought as a theme. One thing, one thing, one thing, and that is living for Him. Our eyes on that Christ might have the preeminence, that everything is about one thing, and that's about Jesus Christ whether it's our work, whether it's our, 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 our leisure time, whatever it may be, that we are pursuing, we are single-minded, we are pursuing only the will of God. So having said all of that, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, I'm glad to know that he says when we hunger and thirst after righteousness, we'll not come up empty. If you hunger and thirst after righteousness this morning, where is our righteousness found? It's found in one person, Jesus Christ. You may say this morning, I'm not a righteous person. Our righteousness is not obtained through deed. It's obtained by faith. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, God says He counts that to us for righteousness. I believe this. Before a person gets saved, they've got to be hungry to want to be righteous. They've got to get to the point where they say, I am not righteous. God is not pleased with me. I am in trouble with God, both in my deeds and both in my lack of deeds. I am an unrighteous person, but I want to be righteous. That's wonderful because Jesus Christ dwelling in you makes you righteous. And then, that's, that's our positional righteousness. Now that I'm a child of God, I'm righteous, then you know what I need to behave like? Someone who's righteous. Now my righteousness needs to be practical because I'm righteous in Christ Jesus. Having said all that, I'm trying to establish the New Testament truth of righteousness through faith in Christ. As we go back to the Old Testament, see a woman who demonstrates that. So if you would, 1 Kings chapter 17. And so if you're here this morning and you perhaps would count yourself a righteous person, I would like to just challenge you to say why. What makes you righteous today? What makes you righteous in the sight of God today? I believe this as much as I know I'm standing here. The only thing that makes me righteous in the sight of God today is that I have met his condition of personal faith in his son for the forgiveness of my sins. And it is Jesus Christ who's made me righteous. Now, I want the way I live to reflect that position. I want what I do to reflect that position. So even as we are made righteous in the sight of God by faith, we, we, we communicate righteousness and do righteousness by the same way, by faith. As you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. How do you end up doing what is right? If you're going to make a decision today, how do we determine what is right? May I say this, and I believe this based on observation I believe the average Christian is a pragmatist. You know what I mean? I mean, we determine what's right by, if I do this, this will be the outcome. And so because I want a certain outcome, I know that the right decision is what will give me the outcome that I think is best. And so if the, uh, the, the end justifies the means, that's kind of the slogan for pragmatism is, well, no, this is probably not what the Bible says to do, but if I do what the Bible says to do, things are going to turn out right. I mean, you hear the term, the phrase, we're supposed to live by principle. What that means is we take God at his word and that the directives he gives us for our life. And I'm going to transition here. If you're here this morning, you don't know that you're saved. 
That's number one on the agenda. You can't do right until you've been made righteous through being born again. Amen? You've got to have the indwelling Spirit of God to live a life of righteousness. And so, uh, but having said that, how about us who are saved that have been called to live righteous? We're to live uh, uh, godly and, and righteously in this present world, Titus 2 tells us. Well, how do we go about that? If we're not going to make our decisions by faith, meaning living by principle says, God says this is the way he wants us to conduct ourselves as his children. We trust that God knows best, and whether it looks like it'll turn out right or not doesn't matter. We take him at his word and act on his word by faith. That is doing what is right. And so then we see a tremendous illustration of this in 1 Kings 17. We're going to read the whole chapter. It's only 24 verses, but we have to read the whole chapter for context. I'm going to give you three simple things uh, that I, I pray and hope won't take too long this morning, but I think will challenge us. Uh, to hunger and thirst after righteousness like this woman did. I believe, and I'll say this before I read, I think most of us want to see the kind of outcomes we read about in the Bible. Someone trusted the Lord and God did something mighty and showed himself mighty on their behalf. But often we don't want to make the decisions of faith that are required to see God do that. Many of us want to see in our lives, spiritually speaking, Goliath slain. But we don't want to go pick up a sling and five stones and go fat him. <laughs> We would rather God drop him at our feet, right? Uh, we want to see God perform a miracle in our lives, meaning doing something with us that you cannot explain other than the enabling power of the Spirit of God. But to do that, we have to step out in faith saying, you know what, I don't see how God's going to do it, but we're going to do what he said anyway. And that's what we see here today. So if we want that outcome, we want to see God do something mighty with our lives, we have to hunger and thirst after righteousness and say, you know what, at the end of the day, what I want to do is what's right. I want to do what's right. God, as, as our Heavenly Father, has called us to lives of righteousness. And so then uh, we'll see this in 1 Kings 17. Let's start reading verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening. And he drank of the brook, and it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks, and he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise, and behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake. And what's the next word? First. Now that's not because Elijah is selfish, but because if we're going to do what's right, we must seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He said, You do first what God told you to do. Then he says, And bring it unto me, and after make for thee and thy son, for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day 
uh, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her house, house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick, and his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourned by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. And the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. Uh, Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good. That's the way the world likes to say it. Friend, all things do not work together for good for everybody. All things did not work together for the rich man in Luke 16 for good. And here's why. He hungered and thirsted after comfort and pleasure in this life, and he got it. But once he left this life and went into eternity, he spent an eternity in hell and is still there and will be there for eternity today. He did not hunger and thirst after righteousness. I believe with all my heart he could have been made righteous if he had so chosen. God, he knew, he knew the law and the prophets. That's what, that's what Abraham said. He could have been saved. He could have come to faith in God for forgiveness of his sins by faith forward. That man could have been redeemed, but he was not because he hungered after the wrong thing. And all things did not work together for good for him. All things did not work together for good for Lot, the picture of the carnal Christian. Dad and I were having a quick conversation between Sunday school and church this morning about can a person die, Dad was saying, can a person die in a backslidden state? Can they die out of the will of God? First Corinthians 11 says there are those that sin in the Corinthian church. God killed them because they were in sin. They died in a backslidden state. Now, for them, in eternity it works together for good, but at the judgment seat of Christ, it's not going to be good. I asked when we were on the missions trip, how many of you want to be Lot at the judgment seat? I understand he's not in the age of grace. I get that. But how would you want to be him who, who when it came time for him to win his own family to faith in a just and a holy and merciful God, they ignored him because he had lived his life in such a way that nobody took him seriously. Now, for Lot's soul, it worked together for good, but it didn't work together for good for his wife or his daughters or his sons-in-law. Why? Because he didn't love God. He loved the world. But here we find a woman who loved God enough to obey him. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. What's the definition of righteousness? Obeying God. That's why we need a Savior, because we've disobeyed him. True? You know why Jesus Christ is called Jesus Christ the righteous? Because he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. That's why his righteousness... He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. But now in him, the Bible says, the grace of God which bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and, uh, uh, and, and worldly lust we should live soberly, righteously, and godly 
in this present world. We who've been made righteous in Christ are to live righteously, hunger and thirst after righteousness. I believe the reason Elijah could live in the home of this widow of Zarephath is they both had the same objective. God commanded her to feed Elijah when she didn't have enough to feed her and her own son. And it was more important for her to obey God than it was to continue to survive. Now, I understand she had a promise to survive, but she believed God would keep his promise and she was willing to take him at his word and say, I'll feed my last meal to to the servant of God and forego it myself, trusting God will meet my needs. This is such a, a, a perfect picture of how the Christian life is supposed to be lived. That we live not on our own reasoning. And please hear me this morning. This, this, it's, it, because we're flesh, I am and you are, it is so easy to live our lives based on our own reasoning rather than on the righteous principles of God's Word. And what's going to keep us from that is saying, but I want to do right. If Jesus Christ saved me, if He spared my soul by offering His own life in my place, then the least I can do is do what's right for Him. That's what Paul meant when he said, the love of Christ constraineth us. For with us judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which loved them and gave himself for them, died for them. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 tells us that. And so this morning, here's a woman, and here's Elijah, and both of them are hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And I believe this the reason the Lord's led us this text, they're in the middle of a famine, and they're full. Amen? They're in the middle of a famine and they're full. And it shows the picture, I believe, today. I'm not sure if we're in a spiritual famine quite yet in America, but we're awful close if we're not there. But I believe this today. You can be satisfied. You can be content and full if you hunger after the right thing. Let me just try to give you this illustration before we get into the meat of this message. In my house, if I had a child that only always ever wanted to eat candy, they're going to stay hungry. Because I'm not going to feed them candy for breakfast, lunch, and supper. I like candy, but we're not going to feed. I don't. I want my kids to live to be some level of an older age than they are. So if one child said, "All I ever want to eat is cotton candy. That's the only thing I got an appetite for," we'll say, "Young, and you're going to lose some weight <laughs> because you might get cotton candy around here once or twice a year, but you're not going to eat it all the time." If someone said, "The only thing I eat," and they start filling in the blank, no, you know what? As an adult, I've had to learn to adapt my appetite. Uh, children have learned to adapt their appetite because parents know best what to feed them. If this morning you only have an appetite for certain things instead of righteousness, you're going to constantly be discontented. By the way, this is at a pandemic level. You're talking about so much pandemic in America in churches. Sadly, it's discontentment. If you don't think so, all you got to do is listen to all the complaining and murmuring. Amen. We are to be, the Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. So let's look at this woman this morning. Three things. First of all, and I've already alluded to this, I want you to consider the condition in the land in her day. The condition in the land. Now she is in the in Zarephath, which is on the, an outlying country outside of Israel that was a Gentile uh, land. In the New Testament it's called Sarepta. Uh, and so this is where this woman's from. But her land was affected by the judgment that God had put on Israel. Elijah, the Bible says, in the first verses, had told Ahab, it's not going to rain for three years. It's not going to rain until I say so. 
I'm going to cut off the rain. I'm going to ask God to cut off the rain. This was at God's direction. And the famine was a judgment upon the disobedience of Israel's king Ahab and the idolatry in the land. And God began to dry up their land. Now, there's a spiritual analogy to us in the same place. One of the sad things to me is if you get put your ear to missions very much, you'll realize God's doing greater things today in other lands than He is in America as far as His moving among people. And He just really is. There's, there's other places where people are more hungry for the truth than they are here. And so there's a bit of a drying up. Dad mentioned this morning a lot of the churches he's in are declining in attendance. I would say this. Someone says, you know, what can you do as far as the church is concerned? Uh, if you want to be, if it's going to be, you want to, you want to make it difficult to grow a crowd of people. I would say, just preach the Bible. In America, just preach the Bible and people will leave generally. I see it all across. I don't travel like he does, but I've seen it. Men that will just say, you know what? I'm staying with what the Bible says. We're not going to compromise Bible principles in order to have a larger crowd. Well, people, there's not a real appetite at large in our country for truth. That's why we have churches with rock and roll concerts and aerobics classes and all kinds of nonsense, turning them into nightclubs because that's what people are hungry for. That's kind of like it was here. You wanted to drink a water, it's a hard, t- hard time to get a drink of water from the physical standpoint. They're living in a, in a time where God said, okay, I'm going to get your attention. I'm going to dry up my resources. You know what? It's dry right now and it's hot. How many of us does God have our attention this last week with some temperature? Well, yes, yours. I was having a good time in Mexico and the high was 83 degrees. I never thought I'd have to go to Mexico to cool off. <laughs> anyway, but it gets your attention, doesn't it? I'm on the way to church this morning. I find myself every summer, Lord, would you send us rain? We could use some rain. Would you agree? What if he said, nope, and I'm not going to for three years? You think we'd feel it? You think our, our, our cupboards would feel it? I don't think we realize how fragile our world is until God says, you know what? I'm going to cut off a resource right here. And let's just see what you'll do without my sunshine or without my rain. I said this, you want to know if people believe in God, watch an affliction come on their life, and they'll start acknowledging who's responsible for giving them health when they lose it. A lot of people don't say anything to God until they lose their health, and then all of a sudden, Lord, would you please give me my health? What they're saying is acknowledging my health is actually a gift from God that I don't appreciate until I don't have it. Same thing with rain. If God, it rains on the just and the unjust. God decides who gets rain and who doesn't. And so here's the land, the condition of the land. They were disobedient, and therefore their land was dry. God withheld his resources from them. And this woman, I mean, I'd say something. She's a woman of Zarephath. She's not under Ahab's rule, but she is getting an overflow of the consequence of God's judgment on his own people. And so then it's dry in the land because of disobedience that created a deficiency. That's what famine is. A lack of food because of the lack of God's resources. How many, how many people do you know that have Christi- as, as professing Christians in the last 10 years have fainted spiritually? Meaning they've quit trying to do what is right. They decide, I can't. They're thrown in the towel. You know what? I, I preached this uh, the other night. If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. You know why our strength gets small? We're malnourished. Undernourished spiritually. And so here's a land that there's a deficiency in the land. You can read through First Kings. The, it was so bad that the king is going through the land trying to find grass to keep his horses alive. Right? 
It's, it's bad. Three years of drought is bad. And so because of disobedience, God sends a drought. And because of the drought, there's this deficiency. But in the land of Israel, you would think, you would think with three years of drought, people would be at a point where saying, okay, Lord, all right, you got our attention. Now, what do we need to do uh, to get right with you? We understand as your people, we're being chastised by you. No, to find a widow that would minister to Elijah, God had to go outside of his own people. He had to look outside of the Jewish people. Look very quickly at Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, just to verify this was the truth of it. Luke chapter 4, the Lord Jesus references this woman we're going to focus on here. In Luke 4, verses 24 through 26. And he said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias. That's Elijah. When the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land, but unto none of them was Elias sent, save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. You know what? Jesus said that in the context of he went unto his own people, the city of Nazareth, and they rejected him because of their familiarity with him. We know, his, we know his mom. We know his brethren. We know this guy. He can't be who he seems to be. They dismissed the work of God because of their familiarity with it. And this is not my message this morning, but I say there's a great danger of that today. We become so familiar with biblical truth in our land and in our churches that we're looking for something else. The Bible is open and preached. We say, but we, we, sure, we're fine with Bible preaching, but we're looking for God to do something. If he's going to do it, he's going to do it through Bible preaching. You know, I want God to work in my life. I want to see the moving of God. I, I understand. Read my Bible, pray. I get that. But I want to see God move. No, 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 no. That's it. You're going to spend time with God and His Word. Submit your will to Him. Listen, God doing the work is not... Our part is not complicated. It's like the old song says, it's trust and obey. We trust and obey. God will do what we cannot do. But here in Israel, in a time when people should have been hungry for righteousness and hungry for God, how many of us understand Elijah was a powerful man of God? One of the most powerful men of God in the Bible. He was in Israel in the days of this, of this famine. Elijah walking then and working then. We might think something like this. Let me roll forward to our period of time. You know what? Oh, that God would raise up a George Mueller in our day. Oh, that God would raise up a, a, a D.L. Moody in our day. I dare say we have them. People of the same caliber and character, the same kind of preaching is present in our country today. But what happens is we're so familiar with the things of God that it often just right on through one in one ear and out the other. Elijah was living in Israel in the days that this took place, but there was not one widow that took Elijah seriously enough to let him come into her home and let God minister to him through her. Not because Elijah was not a legitimate prophet, but because a prophet is not without honor save in his own country. There are men of God today who can... And I've heard this many times recently. They'll leave the United States of America, travel abroad, preach, and God will move in a mighty way. And then they have to go back home and preach when nobody cares about what they're preaching. It happens. Does it not happen? And it's not, it's not a problem with that preacher. It's not a problem with his message. It's that in those days of Israel, there was no, there was no faith. They didn't believe God. The man of God was there. Elijah, who called fire down from heaven in chapter 18. And you know how, the nation, of course, after Elijah called fire down from heaven in chapter 18, after three and a half years of no rain, and then he prayed and there was rain, the nation repented and they had revival. Nope. They went right on. Jezebel running the land. Ahab doing the same thing. And Elijah got so discouraged, he ran off for the wilderness. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, there was a mighty man of God in Israel in that day, 
And yet, his own countrymen didn't, didn't care about what he had to say. That's what happens when idolatry sweeps through a land. No doubt in my mind today, America, it cannot be said this morning, the United States is a Christian nation. We are a nation with Christians in it. We are a nation with good Christians in it. We thank God for it. We are a nation, though, who loves and worships money and pleasure and all that that brings. That's, that's, what, that's what our nation is known for abroad. When I, when I met Brother Hurley and began to meet with him, he began to ask me questions. Is this legal in your land? Yeah. I've heard America allows this to take place. Is this true? Yeah, in most places it's legal. Yeah, He's asking questions. He says, you know, in our land that's not legal. He wants to know, is it illegal to abort babies in America? It is. Not in Indonesia. Isn't that sad? When a Muslim country has better laws about that than we do? Huh? And there's preaching. Listen, America's blessed today. There are men of God all the way across this country this morning preaching the truth. But I have to wonder how hungry is how much hunger is there for it? And that's here's the land, and I I believe her land was in worse shape than ours is. I think that's what I'm trying to say. We still have some hope. We still have you know in, in Elijah's day there was more hope than he thought. He thought he was the only one. There was at least seven thousand more. But the fact is, here's here's a land that's desolate. And if you take the physical aspect of what's going on in that country and apply it to us spiritually today, there's a great analogy there. Because of disobedience, there was dryness and deficiency and disbelief among God's own people. They weren't expecting God to do anything. They didn't recognize the ministry of Elijah as being legitimate. And so then God went outside of his own people to the the widow of Zarephath. So the condition of the land is seen. I, I, I give that point so we might see today, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, has really nothing to do with the kind of culture you're in. Here's a woman who's going to be filled and fed in a time when most other people weren't being. There were some widows in Israel whose lives could have been saved had they hungered and thirsted after righteousness. Amen? And so here we find number two. Not only do we see the condition in the land, verses 1 through 7, but the command of the Lord. I think it's it's important we don't miss this. Verse 8, And the word of the Lord came unto him, speaking of Elijah, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon. So, Tyre and Sidon, that would be uh, uh, lands that God would eventually judge for their sin, but that's where she lived. So she's not only living on the edge of Israel and experiencing God's judgment, she's living in a land that was already under condemnation before God, but that's where God says go. She's a Gentile. Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded. What did he say he done? I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city... Behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks, and he called her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. Uh, it's important to understand that God gave a clear direction before Elijah had gotten there, and how he did it, I don't know. God had commanded this widow woman, I'm going to bring my servant your way, and when he comes, you, you sustain him. And she had a lot to sustain him with. A couple of sticks, a handful of meal, and a little bit of oil. How do you sustain? She can't even sustain her own life on that. But God didn't say, I've asked her to consider. The Bible says he commanded her to sustain Elijah. Now, you hear this from me much, but God, when he commands the life of the Christian, commands a life that you and I cannot produce outside of his grace. Not only can we not produce salvation. I mean, you know, you can't save yourself. 
But we get so ingrained. Well, I can't save myself, but I can sustain a life that's pleasing to God in my own strength and power. No. God's going to tell us to do some things, like such, for instance, as uh, rejoice evermore. Giving thanks for all things. How many of you have thanked God for everything in your life this week? You know why we don't? Because there's some things for which we're not thankful. But he said to give thanks not only in all things, but for all things. I mean, oh, that's just so natural. No, God commands a life. He said, do all things without murmurings and disputings. How many things? Let me just say this. You can't sustain that kind of life by willpower. You can, I don't care. You get up every morning and say, I will repeat 32 times to myself today. I will not murmur. And then you'll murmur about how many times you had to say it. <laughs> Truth? The, the Christian life cannot be sustained by natural ability. That's why we're commanded to be filled with the Spirit. Our lives are supposed to be living miracles. The world ought to see our life and say, you can't live like that. You can, how do people with so many problems have such joy? And then what we can say is, ah, we have someone living within us, someone who's delivered us. And so here what God commands is literally an impossibility. This is where it starts messing with our thinking. We often won't do something unless we can make it work on paper, unless we can explain it, how it can be done in our resources and our ability, then we're not interested and we miss God using our lives. Righteousness is only obtained by faith and it is only carried out by faith. Righteousness, to truly do what is right, requires faith in God. The just shall live by faith. So the direction that God gives, he doesn't give the direction to sustain her to... You think about Obadiah, the prophet, I think is found in the next chapter. He sustained a hundred prophets for a long time. But he did it from the king's resources, I'm guessing. <laughs> he had access to king's resources. I don't know how he sustained them for as long as he did. I don't know about you. Feeding a hundred prophets for three and a half years is no small task. But he did and he had some resources to do that. But God didn't tell Obadiah to sustain Elijah. He tells a woman that, that he knows doesn't have what she needs to obey him. He says, you sustain this prophet knowing that she can't. She can't do that. Let me ask you this. If I, if, if I said to you this morning, God wants Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church to continue to send, raise up, train, and send forth missionaries until, by God's grace, we have sent a missionary to every inhabited continent. Look around you. Do we have enough to do that? In this room? I don't know that we do. Not right now. Do we have the financial resources? Does anybody have any idea how much finances have been invested from this church for the kings just to be living in Mexico? That, doesn't mention, that is not to mention the finances of so many other churches. So if today we said the next five years we're going to send missionaries to five continents out of this church, and whether God's saying that or not, that's up to him. But if he did, I mean, who else is going to go? How many, five of you, we're going to go to Asia, we're going to go to Africa, we're going to go to Australia. Uh, we're in North and South America, so we got to expand a little bit. So we got to hit another, you know, five continents, inhabited continents in the next five years. Which five are going to go? I don't want, amen. <laughs> My point is this. And where are we going to get the funds to do that? If God says, I want you over the next few years to, uh, I want you to plant the church here, plant the church there, send a preacher here, a preacher there. We might immediately say, well, we just can't because look how small we are. 
as we heard in Sunday school, that has absolutely nothing to do with it. Nothing. Here's a woman, and I'll get a little bit more into her resources in a minute. Did God make a mistake when he tells her to sustain Elijah? First, she's a Gentile. Didn't he forget Jews and Gentiles don't intermingle? Maybe they should have reminded God of that. Here's a widow woman. She's a Gentile. She doesn't have anything other than a handful of meal, a little bit of oil, and a couple of sticks. Why did God tell her? Why not tell some rich king someplace to sustain Elijah? Because then the king would get the glory. Eh? Same reason he told Gideon, cut your army from uh, from 30,000 to 10,000 and from 10,000 to 300. Same reason. He said, I don't want you when you're done to say we did this. When it's done, I want it to be clear that I enabled something to be done and God gets the glory. And so the command was directed to a poor Gentile widow with hardly any resources. Number two, the difficulty of commandments, more than difficult, it was impossible. He commanded her to sustain him until the famine was over. And so let me just say this. If we'll only serve God inside the scenarios that we can explain are physically and financially possible, we won't serve God. There's going to be a time that God will direct someone, you know what, I want you to make this commandment in your life a priority. Lord, if I do that, I won't be able to pay my bills. Anybody ever been here before? How many, how many times you, you get in the Bible, God commands that the first fruits belong to Him, the tithe is the Lord's. I'm already spending everything I got. If I give 10% to God, I won't be able to pay my bills. Do it anyway and watch what God will do. If, if I make being in church a priority, that's going to hinder my ability to work and then I'm going to pay my bills. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. If I prioritize prayer, and I'm trying to be practical this morning, prayer and time in my Bible, man, I don't think I get the rest I need. I'm thinking my health would decline. I mean, I'd have to get up another hour earlier to make Bible reading and prayer first. By the way, I think that's very important that you start your day in the Word of God and you start your day in prayer. But seek ye the when? First. That's first in the day, first in the week, first in your life. First, the kingdom of God. Put God where he belongs before everything else. And why don't we? I don't have enough resources. I don't have enough time as it is. And people say, I don't have time to pray. Hell, that George Mueller. <laughs> the, man was, the man was taking care of over a thousand orphans in four or five orphan houses and prayed no less than two to three hours a day. Don't tell me you don't have time. We have time what we what we have what we're hungry for here's a woman that could have said i can't sustain a prophet i don't have the resources that's pretty much what she said but she believed god in spite of it and so then the command he directed it to a poor gentile widow with not even a husband to provide for her and a little boy too little to work uh, the difficulty it was an impossibility and then thirdly we not only see the condition in the land the command of the lord but the consecration of this loyal Woman, I say loyal. She's loyal to the Lord. More loyal than any Jew in her day. Now let's read it uh, here in verse 10. So he arose, that being Elijah, because God told him to, and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. So he's acting in accordance with what he knows is the will of God for her life. He's not just being selfish and saying, hey, you woman, feed me. He knows God's already told her to do this. By the way, it is a wise and good thing 
to act in accordance with the will of God in the lives of other people. When you know God has told someone else to do something, get on board and help them do it. Amen? And so he goes, and as a prophet, he commands her to do this. And uh, she said, verse 12, and she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, she knows who he is. As the Lord thy God liveth, I, uh, uh, I have not a cake. I mean, I don't have any bread made. She said, but I had a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise, a container. And behold, I'm gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. She says, I have just a few resources and they are already set aside for me and my son to be our last meal. We're going to have a last supper, but it's not like going to the New Testament. We are planning to take these two sticks, make a little bitty fire. It's just enough to make a final meal for me and my son and then we're going to have to die because that's all I've got. And I've already got it planned for us. And so then Elijah says, verse 13, unto her, Elijah said to her, fear not, fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but Make me thereof a little cake first and bring it unto me and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah and she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail according to the word of the Lord which he spake by Elijah. Don't you wish God worked like that now? He does. Anytime someone gives him an opportunity. Amen? She says, I've got just a little left. So I'll give you just a few things. She has a responsibility. It has already been commanded to her by the Lord to sustain the prophet. Now the prophet shows up and she has an opportunity either to obey God or disobey God. She has an opportunity to do right or to do wrong. Romans 6, it's part of the, the verse that comes out of, that we have in our bulletin this morning, explains that obedience is righteousness and disobedience is sin. Now, that's just the simplest form. So she has an opportunity. God has already told her, sustain the prophet. There he is. She gets an opportunity to act on the word of God. And she's going to have to decide, am I going to do what is right or am I going to do what is wrong? Am I going to sustain this man or am I going to disobey? Here's what we would do in our natural flesh, any one of us. I can't do what God said. He didn't just say feed him one meal and then die. Sustain has to do with something that's perpetual. Sustain means you're going to feed him a meal, and then you're going to feed him another meal, and then you're going to feed him another meal. She already knew she couldn't do it. You know what I believe? Most of the widows in Israel ended up dying of starvation because instead of being willing to say, I don't know how God's going to do it, but if he told me to sustain that man, I'll use what I have and do what he says. Because that's ultimately what she did. She says to Elijah, let me explain to you the reality of this. Sometimes we might think of people that God does mighty things on their behalf that they live in a different reality than the rest of us. No, she was as short on resources as anybody else. She just wasn't as short on faith. She had just as few resources as anybody else. But says, well, I sure wish I could live for God like so-and-so does, but I'm not as talented as they are. And I don't, you know, I don't have the kind of time that they have. And I don't have the energy. Boy, I wish I could serve the Lord like some of these young people, but I don't have their resources. Some say, I wish I could get involved in giving the missions, but I don't have the resources. She could have said the same thing. Listen, there are things God's commanded us to do that you and I both know we don't have the resources for. When God called me to preach, and would say, well, Pastor, I'm sure you were born with an ability to stand before people and speak. Ask my parents. There was a time when I was afraid to meet a new face, period. 
So no, 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 that's not true. Uh, I wouldn't say it's still even true today. I'm more used to it. <laughs> but what God commands, God enables. And here's where I'm coming from this morning. We might be wrestling with the command of God in our life, and we know it's right, but we've already decided we're not going to do it's right because we don't have what it takes to do it. That has nothing to do with it. If God says do it, He'll give the resources to get it done. God says go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Well, I'm going to have the ability to be involved in that some part. God has says pray without ceasing, then He'll give me the ability to do that. He says rejoice evermore. He will enable me by His Spirit. I may be the most, by personality, one of the most grumbling, irritable people we ever met. I might be an introvert. None of that has anything to do with serving God and obeying God. It has to do with what, if He wants something done and He commands it, the right thing to do is obey Him because He's God. You know why it's right to obey God? This is complex. Because He's God. He is supposed to be obeyed. (laughs) And so then here she is. Uh, She has got a responsibility to sustain Elijah, but her resources do not equal her responsibility. May I say this? You will, and if you've been saved any length of time, you've already come to this, where you will be made aware of a responsibility from the Bible communicate it to your personal life by the Holy Spirit of God, and you will say, I see what my responsibility is, but I know me, and I know whether it's intellectual resource, financial resource, spiritual resource, physical resource, I see what God tells me to do, but I don't have the capability to do it. At which point we decide whether we're going to live by faith or by sight. She saw her responsibility. Then Elijah helps her. It's like he kind of slow pitches her a softball because he gives her a very clear promise. She says, here's the reality. By the way, faith does not mean I ignore realities. It means I trust God in the face of the realities. Faith does not mean when you have faith, you see no obstacles. No, faith doesn't blind you to obstacles. What faith does is say, I see my obstacle, but I see that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world because he said so. What faith does is it focuses its attention on the ability of God rather than the size of the obstacle. That's not pep-up speaking. I'm trying to say she didn't pretend, well, I'm supposed to sustain the prophet, so let me pretend like I got a lot of meal and oil and God will bless my dishonesty. No, she's frank. She says, here's the reality, Elijah. You're telling me to get you a cake. I don't have a cake. I have the ingredients to make enough for me and my son to have enough to hold us over till we starve to death. That's what I have. May I say this morning, the most blessed thing you'll ever do is just be very honest with God. God says, I want you to talk to your neighbor about their need for salvation. Lord, I do not have the ability to engage strangers. Wouldn't that be good? How many of us, many times when God gives us a commandment that reveals our weakness and inability, we say, it's very important for me to save face now and seem like I have more than I do, rather than just say, you know what? I know what you're telling me to do, but I don't have what it takes to get it done. That's what she said. She said, you're telling me to give you a cake? I don't have one. I have a handful of meal, a little oil, two sticks, and that's all I got. And we're going to make a meal here for me and my son. And Elijah can sound very selfish and cruel here. He says, that's fine. And you do that. You You make a cake for you and your son. But first, first, God's will comes first. God's will comes first. This is such a perfect picture of Matthew 6.33. But seek ye first. 
the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Now I say this. You say, I will, I will get faithful in my prayer life when I can get my schedule in order. No, you'll never get your schedule in order until prayer comes first. I'll get faithful to church when we can afford to do that with our schedule. You'll never get faithful to church. When you say, God said not to forsake the assembling, so I'll be there. You'd be amazed what that'd do for your schedule. I remember a man used to attend this church. They never joined. They used to attend here, and he was running a business, a small business. And he would talk to me. We got to know each other pretty well. And uh, I was met him in town one day, and he was telling me how difficult it was. He said, man, we're working 60, 70 hours a week. He, he and his wife both had a testimony of salvation. And he said, we just can't seem to get, you know, I can't seem, just can't seem to, to catch up. And I gave him this principle. I said, can I encourage you to do this? Make being with God's people a priority in your life. Financially make it a priority in your life. Tithe. And I said, and see how God will help. And he, he's, ah, it won't work. We have this many things to do and have this many hours to get it done. His business didn't fly here. He moved to another state and he's trying to survive there. My point is it didn't work. But I've seen the flip side of that where people made spiritual decisions and they said, you know what? We're going to prioritize the commandments of God in our life and do what he wants first. And then we'll see what happens. And watch God bless it. I'm not, I didn't say he made them wealthy. I'm saying he enabled them to obey him. They were not dissatisfied. He enabled them to do. Many times we forgo doing what's right and we'll say something like this. I would do what's right, but I can't. Well, then God told us to do something we can't do. She could have said that, but she said, you know what? Here's my responsibility. Here are my resources. And God gave her a promise. Verses, uh, uh, verse 13, 14. Elijah says, fear not. Go and do as thou said, but make uh, me there of a little cake first and bring it unto me and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel. So he says, it's not my word. It's what God says. The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. He said, I'm going to make it very clear. If you'll do what God says, he'll make sure your meal doesn't run out and your oil doesn't run out. If you'll obey him, he'll sustain you. And you know what? She believed it. You know how we know? This is, again, very complex. Do you know how we know she believed God? She did what he said. Now, don't listen, miss this. So I believe God. The evidence of that is we take him at his word, believe his promises, and do what he says. That's the evidence. Faith without works is dead. Faith with works is quite alive. And so she did what he said. She believed his promise. She performed his will. And then verses 17 through 19. So you see, she comes to faith. She believes, if I'll take this last little bit of meal and this little bit of oil, and instead of using it for me and my son to die as happy as we can, I'm going to do what God says to with it and believe that he will do a miracle. She did what she could. God did what she could not. That is throughout the Bible, throughout the Bible. God did not tell the disciples, Dad preaches a great message on this, but he did not tell the disciples, you multiply the loaves and fishes. No, he said, you sit the people down the ranks. He didn't say, you make the five loaves and two fishes multiply. No, he said, you come and distribute, I'll multiply them. Anybody can take baskets and deliver them to people. Anybody can. But only God can multiply them. Only God can part the Red Sea. Let me ask you something. How hard is it to take a rod and go, Rah! that's all Moses had to do for the Red Sea to part. He had to obey God. And one simple thing, you lift your rod toward the Red Sea and God will part the sea. Moses did a simple act of obedience that any one of us could do. Throughout the Bible, God has never commanded you and I to perform miracles. He's commanded us to obey. 
and trust Him to do the miraculous. And so then, here's this woman. She does not have the resources. She believes God's promise. She performs what He says. And she sees God do what He said He would do. The barrel of, uh, of, of meal did not run out, nor the oil. And so she is now effectively able to do what is right. She is sustaining Elijah. But while sustaining Elijah, what happens? And I'll finish up here quickly. This is very simple. Her son gets sick and dies. Now, Satan knows what causes us to question God. What happens is we think if we do what's right, nothing will go wrong. That's not what it means when it says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. If you do what's right, everything will be just sweet and rosy. While she's obeying God, let me ask something. Why is it important that the meal doesn't run out and the oil doesn't run out? Because it's going to keep her and her son alive. So she does what God says, and no, the barrel doesn't waste and the oil doesn't waste, but her son dies of something else. Well, that'll confuse you, won't it? You're obeying God? I've seen this happen as well. Initially, you obey God, and you see God's promises fulfilled in your life. You say, man, it works to do right. And then some catastrophe strikes. Right? Monday night this week, Caitlin came about 10 minutes from dying. That's no joke. And we believed we were in Mexico by the will of God. We believe the kings are in Mexico by the will of God. We believe we had this camp together by the will of God. And the first preaching event, one of our kids nearly dies. I mean, nearly. Close. What did we do wrong? Nothing. It's a test. It's a test. It's been said that a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. When you've trusted God, things will happen to say, okay... Now are you willing to repent of your faith in God? She comes to Elijah and once again she's just honest. She says, why? You know, basically, why is this happening? Is God f- refusing to forgive my sins? Is he punishing me for something in the past? Why when I'm doing what's right are things going wrong? And then she's given a commandment. All she's told to do is one thing. Give me thy son. You know what she did? She said, here you go. You take him. It's one thing to give your last bit of meal and your last bit of oil to God. It's another to give your child. Even if he is dead, Elijah says, you give him to me. Do you think she was tempted maybe not to trust Elijah right now? Last time she trusted him, her son ends up dead anyway. But you know what she does? The Bible says he took her out of her, him, out of her bosom, meaning she once again did what was right. She obeyed. And Elijah took him up. And raised him back to life. All I'm saying this morning, here's a woman, when every time she was tempted to do what was right, she did it. The Bible says God tempted Abraham. I thought God tempteth no man. He didn't tempt him to do wrong. He tempted him to do right. When we are given a commandment and have a responsibility and we don't have the resources to meet that responsibility, it's an opportunity to do right. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be... Filled. It's one thing to have your belly filled with bread. It's another to be filled with the knowledge that God Almighty is exactly who He says He is and to be filled with faith that's unshakable. She hands her boy over to Elijah and by the end of the chapter, the Bible says, verse 23, And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. And the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God. Didn't she know that already? Well, she knows it more fully now than ever before. 
and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. You know what I hear? I hear her saying, I am full. I am glad I did what was right. May I say this? The message is a principle this morning. It's broad, meaning do what's right. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Obey God, even if it doesn't look like it's going to work out. So it's a, it's a broad principle. The application, though, in each one of our lives is very specific. <laughs> very specific. I don't know how God's applying it to you this morning, but I do know what our response needs to be. You know what? If I know what my responsibility is from the one who saved me, if the Word of God is so clear that I know what He is telling me to do, and that can be anything from simply being faithful to God with my finances or my time or obeying the call of God in ministry, whatever it may be, the right thing to do is obey God. Obey God. First and foremost, obey God, and He will, he will fill you. You'll never be disappointed by being hungry for what is right. If I'm hungry and thirsty for something else this morning, you'll spend your life dissatisfied, dissatisfied and discontent.